1: Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock episode number 121 for June 2023. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney. The captain is away on shore leave this week, so we have filling in a very special guest. Now, as you all know, at the end of the Dominion War, Garrick left D-Space-9 and that left this tailor shop uninhabited, unoccupied, unmanaged, and somebody had to move in to fill that gap. And so we have Mr. David Volante joining us all the way from Deep Space Nine. Hello, David. Hey, Ken. How's it going? It's good. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. So I like and- that it's episode 121. I like the uh, the the symmetry on that one. It helps me. It feels good to me. So.
1: Right? You know, and either way, you read it forward, backwards, the same thing. Uh, it's almost like one of the many episodes of Star Trek with time travel. You just doesn't know which order it's going in. Uh, but we are moving forward with this episode, and we have you calling in from Deep Space Nine. In addition to your regular job, which we'll speak to in a moment, uh, I understand that you are just a humble tailor. Is that correct?
0: That's right. We, uh, you know, we, we love... We just... I like to... Uh, make clothes for people I like to make them look good I like to make them feel good it's uh it's my great joy in life <laughs> and I understand that even when
1: you're not in DSpace9 that is in fact your profession you are the president and lead designer
0: at Volante Design is that correct that's right I can't get enough of it uh <laughs> we uh, Volante Design is a company that I started uh, with my wife just over 10 years ago um we make clothing inspired by video games, comic books, other pop culture things, as well as our own original fashion. Key one of our biggest collections is our Star Trek collection. Uh, Star Trek is very near and dear to my heart, and it's been really fun to be able to make clothing inspired by every series of Star Trek that I can that I've gotten to so far, and I continue to expand it as I can. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. So, are we talking about like official Starfleet uniforms? Are we talking about alien races? Uh, what, what sort of apparel?
0: So, our Star Trek stuff mostly has been uniform uh, inspired. So, we've most we've gone through most of the series. We haven't done every single one of them because there's so many. Uh, but we, you know, we're continuing to expand it. But the alien races is a little harder because they often are. well there's it's just less iconic necessarily there's less one there's less than one specific iconic look that we can draw upon whereas the uniforms it's i mean you know it when you look at it what series it is what you know like what era it's from it's and people really attach themselves to that uniform so it makes a really good product we did make a klingon vest we you know like we've done some other stuff like that but the vast majority is the uniform stuff.
1: And when you say there are so many uniforms, Discovery must be driving you mad because there's the <laughs> uniforms they started with and then there's the TOS era and then they moved to the future. It seems like four seasons, four outfits
0: almost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, in the future had multiple different like styles. Like they did the gray with the color division stripe and then they did the, color, the division color main with a black stripe. And yeah, Discovery is one... And then Picard is a whole other thing. They it's like every episode they have a different, they're like a new person, he's wearing a different uniform. This is like a Starfleet uniform, but it's actually not a Starfleet uniform. There's just like they do that a lot. They're enjoying designing Starfleet uniforms. I think maybe to the detriment of the like uniformity of the series. Hmm. But that's a different that's my that's
1: a personal opinion. <laughs> And for example, uh, our listeners can't see it right now, but I'm wearing a shirt that just says Disco because it's what yep. Discovery crew member wear when they're off duty. Uh, in the other room, I have some DSpace9 medical pajamas. That's <laughs> not the kind of stuff you're producing. You're actually making like production quality uniforms. Is that
0: right? That's yes, sort of. Um, we don't do replicas. We are making uh there it's high quality clothing. Like everything we do is designed to be worn and, and worn to death and beaten up. And really like it's, it's built like a Carhartt jacket, but fitted and uh, you know, like fitted, like tailor fit. And we do this sort of in between thing where we're trying to, where we take inspiration translate it into something that you could get away with wearing on a daily basis and really use as an everyday jacket. So, hmm some of our details like we we end up changing details from the uniform a lot of the uniforms are like polyester like jumpsuits and stuff or they have like hidden zippers in the back like that's impractical for everyday use so we don't do that because um, we're not trying to make replicas
1: gotcha and are the these are officially licensed from paramount correct
0: yeah. yep that's right it's that's always put us in a weird spot when we're pitching licensing is that we're not planning on doing replicas and we're not, and we don't do like printed t-shirts or, uh, you know, sort of this, the traditional licensed merch type of like apparel. So we're in this weird space where we often have to like take some time to really explain the purpose of what we're doing, which is for me to make clothing that people can put on and feel a like a deep connection to the series the thing that they love and it's not just you know i've, I've got a logo on my shirt like the disco shirt i think is one example or a, sort of a it's on the side of that it's like it's not a star trek logo it's disco they wear this on the shirt on the show so it feels like you're in the show you're you know you could be a crewman um and that's what we kind of want to do but we also want people to wear it every day like a lot of people we see wear our Star Trek stuff to Star Trek conventions or to the premiere and they're standing alongside people who are in replica uniforms and they don't feel out of place but then they can also wear that same jacket down the street and somebody might see it and be like that's Star Trek and most people might be like that's a cool jacket that kind of reminds me of Star Trek. Star Trek is a special example because it's always obvious to me. Hmm. It's got it's got colors, it's you know it's very clear. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, we try and ride that, that like sit right on that fence between, uh, costume and wearability.
1: Yeah. Former guest of the show, Amanda, who helps run the battleground games booth at PAX East encountered your booth at this past PAX East and bought the strange new worlds jacket. Mm -hmm. And it just is so sharp on her. And she even (laughs) let me try it on and it wasn't cut for me, so it wasn't the best fit, but even I could tell putting it on is like, oh, this is something like I could wear on a day-to-day basis. I wouldn't have to go to packs to wear it. I could just, you know, wear this to a nice event. And right. it was—I you know, was really glad when Amanda put us in touch with Leslie from your team to make this collaboration happen because uh, this is some really fine apparel that you're putting out.
0: Thank you. Yeah, we. Um, I think for me as a, I've always been. I've always been sort of i came from a costume design background right or character design background i've always i've been designing characters my whole life uh and i did an animation in college and that's kind of where i came from but i wanted to make clothing so i design clothing as if it is a costume but i but that can be worn every day and so i have this like it needs to be practical it needs to be sturdy it has like it needs to fit well i think It's not for me just the color blocking that makes a Star Trek jacket or, you know, like makes a character look good on screen. It's not just like the red on the front and, or red on the yoke or something like that. It's like it fits because they're usually custom made for the person on the screen. So the fit has to matter, not just the stuff, like not just the look of it. And if you're already doing all the work to make a fitted thing and, and put in the details for all the, the look to really feel authentic, we use, high quality materials and we've got something that it's not cheap our stuff is premium all our stuff is handmade in the united states it's you know it can be expensive it can go up to we have some coats that go up to 700 800 most of our stuff sits in the 300 range um but it's worth every penny Mhm. and these
1: are exclusively jackets you're not doing full body uniforms
0: we don't do full body uniforms we have a couple of pairs of pants that we've launched and we are working on developing more pants and shirts and things like that. But we started as a jacket company and that's most of what you'll see on the website.
1: Yeah. And as for the price range, you mentioned 300 700, Uh, but as you said, it's built in the USA, it's ethically sourced and manufactured. And we have a discount code for our listeners. If you want to go to volantedesign.us and use code transporter as in transporter lock, and you can get 10% off your entire order. And that's not just for the Star Trek stuff you make, because you have other licensed products, including Assassin's Creed and Devil May Cry, which may appeal to the gamers in our audience. Uh, are there other brands that you're also working with?
0: Um, we have some Lord of the Rings stuff. Um, we also, that one is a, that was an interesting one. It's kind of, it's ever changing. Um, we also have a full series of, of original collections um, that are not, specifically inspired by any one franchise there are our own ip or uh and they but there's you know there's stuff that it all comes from the same ethos like design ethos so there is that there's the fit there there is a sort of connection to uh cool costumes that but wearable cool costumes so and that's all on our website yeah
1: when you say the Lord of the Rings designs are constantly changing, is that because of the Rings of Power series? Uh,
0: no, it's just, well, the Lord of the Rings collection is kind of different for us because it's it's licensed with Middle-Earth Enterprises as opposed to WB or Amazon or something like that. So they that license is basically we have the rights to make things based on the text um, uh. and not any of the visual stuff that has already been created. So we kind of have to do new and interesting things, and we've taken that as an opportunity to make smaller runs and really just do specialized stuff because it's kind of a it's a unique thing and it it's something that we are playing with.
1: Oh, I love it. I just recently returned from a trip to New Zealand. I went to Hobbiton as seen in the movies. And I I'll, I confess I'm not the hugest Lord of the Rings fan, but I'm certainly <laughs> enough to have enjoyed that trip. And
0: Yeah, I, yeah that I, sounds amazing.
1: Yeah, I, I actually didn't realize that you had Lord of the Rings in your catalog, so I definitely need to go to your website and check that out after this call.
0: Yeah.
1: Now tell me a little bit about your own history with Star Trek. Is this something that you grew up with, or did some other series tangentially lead you into it?
0: Um, no, I've been watching Star Trek most of my life, I think, well, I was exposed to Star Trek, like many people, by my dad uh, when I was, you know, four, five, six around there. I, same time that I was also watching Star Wars, and he was explaining to me the differences between Star Trek. I remember watching like Next Gen on TV, and I was also a big X-Men fan and being like, can Jordy shoot lasers? Like, what's go- <laughs> Like, what's going on here? And like trying to part, like piece all of the different things together, but he explained, you know all that stuff, walking through it. But then I really got into star Trek later in like late high school, college era, and just like binged through every series and really got attached to it. I always liked it, but I hadn't really like assimilated it, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but now I, and now I have fully assimilated myself into the star Trek, uh, universe. It's been 15 years, you know, spent the later half of my life so far. Uh, loving every bit of star trek
1: are you aware of the various star trek x-men crossovers that they've done
0: (laughs) uh vaguely not (laughs) i I can't say yes but i feel like i must have seen it before
1: yeah there was at least one comic book where it was tos and x-men and then there was a novel where it was (laughs) uh tng and the x-men uh, I, I think that's all that they've done. You know, certainly not right. anything live action, but it's still nonetheless pretty cool that Jean Luc Picard became Professor Xavier in the movies. You know, yeah, yeah. Actor.
0: There's weird connections there. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, what is your favorite Star Trek series if you had to choose?
0: Um, this is a pretty easy one for me. Voyager. Really? Because yeah, I think it's a maybe not an unpopular opinion, but I've always liked Voyager. I, I mean, they all have their their merits, obviously. Next Gen has great characters. Um, DS9 has a really good story, although I watched that one later. It took me a while to get into it, mostly because the second half, I think, is better than the first half of that series. Agreed. Um, but Voyager, for me, is the one series that feels like the crew is working as a crew. And they kind of have to work that together. And that that is what like the dynamic that I like the most, where they really it requires each person to have their specialties and do things. Whereas next gen is like, this is a data episode, this is a Geordie episode. And it's not really about the crew so much as like it's all character episodes, primarily. You
1: know what I mean? Interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. I certainly do see what you mean. Does that mean that you agree with Captain Janeway in murdering Tuvix?
0: <laughs> I. That is obviously a, a strongly debated <laughs> topic. <laughs> it's a difficult. That's a difficult question. Um, it's a uh, yes and no. There's a because they, it also by by not murdering Tuvix they would they would have murdered Neelix and Tuvok and I I get it. I don't know. It's a it's a confusing one.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean I just, in some ways it's just a classic trolley problem. As you just said, two is more than one and they need each crew member working together to get that ship home.
0: Right. Every time they lose a crew member, they they I mean they're, you know, one down and it's 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 a big you know, they don't have new crew members They can refill their ship. Like they need people. And they need right. each of them, especially those two. Like they're they're senior, well, senior-ish off Neelix, I don't know, but but he's useful. Yes. <laughs> Irritating though he may, may be sometimes, but he has important uses on the ship, and obviously Tuvok too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure how I can yeah. what I can really say about that one.
1: Well, even though Voyager is not a popular choice for favorite series, it seems to be the one with almost the most legacy and impact on Star Trek lore, because we have Janeway on Prodigy. We have Seven of Nine on Picard. We have Tom Paris on Lower Decks. We have all these characters that keep coming back, whereas Star Trek Enterprise, like those characters, those actors, they hardly ever get referenced. And if they do, it's only by passing. They're not impacting the plot and the narrative like all of Voyager's characters come back to do.
0: Yeah, even uh, beyond Voyager's characters, the entire like storyline of the borg post voyager like in in the modern era like picard series and stuff it's like that's all m- massively impacted by what happened in voyager um as well as obviously tying back to locutus and picard's own experience with the borg but like it's different in picard as it was you know from from when it was in next gen because of what happened in voyager
1: right right and so I think Voyager, in some ways, even though it may not have been popular, was very important to mm-hmm. what has happened in the last 20 years. Not that we could have known that when Voyager was airing, but looking back, I don't know where we'd be today without Voyager. That's right. And now we have Strange New Worlds, which we're here to talk about today, because Season 2 just debuted this week. We have uh, the first of 10 episodes, that episode being The Broken Circle. And let me ask a uh, before we get to season two, what was your impression of the first season of strange new
0: worlds? Uh, I think that first season of strange new worlds is a extremely strong entry in the in modern track series. Uh, I mean, I, it's my, my opinions don't vary from, I think the, the majority opinion, which is that aside from lower decks, it's probably the best running series at the moment. Uh, all, you know, in terms of like, having enough new stuff and also tying in it or, you know, staying connected with the origins and like the history of Trek and the vibe of Trek. And like, you know, like the, the positivity, the optimism, the lights on the ship being on, you know, like those kinds of things, <laughs> uh, small and, and large details. I think that's, uh, stranger worlds is really cool that way. And Pike is a really interesting captain that hasn't really been it's, it's nice to see him sort of expanded on from the cage and the various other, like we all, we only really know him from the series is like the one episode. And then like when he, the, the the return when he, after, you know, after his accident. Hmm. So seeing what kind of captain he is with his crew and it's kind of casual, but it's also, it's not as casual as discoveries sort of, family way of running a ship, which is kind of weird. But he sort of, so he kind of does a little bit of Picard. He does a little bit of Kirk and he also has his own, like, I also cook for my senior staff. Like, (laughs) you know, it's kind of cool.
1: Yeah. 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 How would you rank the five new series? Those being discovery Picard, strange new worlds, prodigy and lower decks.
0: Oh, I haven't I haven't tried this I haven't done this before I gotta say probably lower decks is my favorite of those is that a weird that's a weird choice
1: (laughs) no no lower decks is fantastic and I think even my co-savriel ranks it as her number one
0: yeah I would say lower decks uh strange new worlds I haven't watched enough of prodigy feel where it, it sits in there I think it's a cool idea but it's far enough away from the other series that it's hard to rank for me. Um, and then Picard and discovery have their own pluses and my, like they've had their own ups and downs. So those, those three I'm going to put at number three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as that's a sure. sort of cop out.
1: <laughs> no, I get that. I think every show is very different. Like I think tonally discovery and strange new worlds are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Yep. And I and I love them both for very different reasons. And I get frustrated with people saying like how this isn't Trek. It's like, well, Trek is about infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And that goes for the shows as well. And they can all be Trek. So I like all five for different reasons. I mean, I, yep. I, I could I could rank them if I had to, but I just prefer to sit back and enjoy them all.
0: Oh, I see. So you put me in the position. Exactly. But yep. You're just going to stand back and cop out fully. That's great. No. Well, that's fine. I <laughs>
1: no 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 I, I would say either discovery or strange new worlds is number one uh uh-huh. picard is number uh no lower decks is number two picard is number three and Prodigy is number four so a okay. tie for first and then that's the rest of it
0: yeah that makes um, sense i i could see that too you know that's a good because uh, discovery is really interesting and it's so different from what we expect. And I think it was necessary for the new era of Trek to like it was a way of sort of separating the new era from the syndicated era of the series and, and it without necessarily going too astray, it does it sort of rides that line and it has a really difficult I think the showrunners had a really difficult position to to sort of do that and do it gracefully. Mm-hmm. Um and like mo- like many of the series, it takes a couple of seasons to really get rolling, and it's you know and to really find its its voice.
1: Yeah, Discovery started in the past and eventually went to the future, which I think was a mm-hmm. good call. I'm surprised in some ways that Strange New Worlds is doing as well as it did because when Enterprise first aired back in 2001, it was set a hundred years before Kirk, and a lot of people were frustrated because. Star Trek is about looking forward and moving Mm -hmm. forward and enterprise was taking a step backward and that not only, you know, reduced the kind of technology that the uh, cast had available to them, but also constrained them to operate within Star Trek lore. Like there were certain things that they couldn't do because they knew what came next with TOS and TNG, et cetera. And in a way, strange new worlds has that same constraint. Like this is, the Spock that we know, the aurora that we know, and they can only do so many things. Like we know that the love interest between Spock and Nurse Chapel probably won't go anywhere. Yeah. Because it doesn't I, in TOS. And that's a constraint. And nonetheless, they're trying to tell a story there. And right. so it, it's interesting to me that they are doing it so well.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's uh it's a credit to the showrunners and the, and the cast that they are playing it. They're playing it off. I think they're, you know, they're managing it really well. Um, it feels, you know, you, you still watch it and you're like, is this just going to end up creating a different timeline? Because I'm interested in like where these storylines are going. Like, even though I know that they can't go that direction, uh, you know, like we like Pike. We know Pike is having this thing. Is he going to somehow change his fate, which would retcon his like, that can't really happen, probably. But also, I wouldn't put it past them trying. Like, So we'll see how it goes. But mm-hmm. definitely, the first season, I think, is really strong. And we'll see how the second season sort of carries the, the torch.
1: How do you think the second season has started so far? What was your overall impression of The Broken Circle?
0: I have, I have some thoughts about it. I think, overall, I think they started pretty strong with the episode. Parts of the episode had some bits that I'm not so that I'm kind of iffy on. Um, But I'm sure we'll get to that. Uh, But I think that it's a strong start. It is, it feels like they might get a little bit more in the weeds than the season. Season one was fun and a little bit uh, heavy sometimes. Like it managed that really well. I wonder if it's, this is the second season is going to be too dramatic Mm. to, you know, like that's I'm wondering about that. It's also it's managing to be fun, but it's it's interesting what they're you know they're pulling in a possible Klingon war, they're pulling in a possible Gorn war, and it's like what is this? Is that is it going to be a war series? Um, yeah, that's yeah, my could, like initial sort of thoughts on the the episode.
1: Yeah, because as you said with Deep Space Nine, the second half was much stronger, and that's the half that focused on the Dominion War, and it was pretty dark and heavy, except they still made time to go to the holodeck and play baseball or hang out with Mm -hmm. Vic Fontaine, but the overall tone was still pretty dark and you're right. We have potentially two wars simmering here. They seemingly have averted one of them, but there wasn't a lot of humor or banter in this episode, especially with Pike being elsewhere. You know, he really wasn't in this episode. He took his shuttle for a five day round trip and left Spock in command. And I think historically on this series, a lot of the humor comes from Pike. So when he's absent, Mm -hmm. it does tend to be a bit more serious.
0: Right. He does smile more than most of the other characters. (laughs) It's just something he brings to it. And he tries to, I think, and that's something I like about him as a captain from season one is that he tries to be like, he's serious and he gets emotional with his crew. um, But he also is like, yeah, but we're also going to have some fun. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of his vibe, which is, it's an interesting one. It's not too like, Kirk uh cowboy stuff you know like but it is it has a little bit of that like uh lighthearted or sort of just making it up as he goes vibe
1: not so much with Spock he of course by his nature is a little more serious and his humor tends to be inadvertent
0: mm-hmm. but i do think that they're doing an interesting thing with this spock this iteration of spock um is and really playing into his like Human, human Vulcan dynamic, which feels like is possible to, like, it exists within this, this part of the universe and this timeline. And he could sort of get it more, get his, like, Vulcan side, or his human side more under control and sort of do more of that as he ages and matures. Like, this could lead into his character from TOS, mm-hmm. which is less about his human emotions not that it isn't there but it feels like this really pushes it a little further
1: it definitely feels like a younger spock who has not yet submerged his human half as much as the later spock the older spock Mm -hmm. that we are more accustomed to and so i like that they have this opportunity to experience and explore that dichotomy and that tension yep uh you know we saw that a little bit at the end of last season, when he supposedly unleashed his emotions to fight the Gorn, and now he's having trouble reining them back in, which seems like a pretty weak excuse to me, but I'm happy with what they're doing, regardless of how they're doing it or why. So I'm willing to give him a pass for that. Right. Yeah. You said there were some bits in this episode specifically that you didn't think worked quite that well. What
0: were those? It's, um, I think the there's a bit more fighting. The solution is fighting your way out. Uh, like, like, like actually punching people, like the scene with, uh, Mbenga and Nurse Chapel taking drugs and punching out a bunch of Klingons. Like it was on the one hand, it's cool. And on the other hand, it's, it's not, it doesn't feel right. It's totally kind of funky. Um, the drugs is one thing, but also just like, there's, there's like, there's like a weird dynamic. Um, he, and Vega and mega is a, he's got some tropes for a black character that are going on where he's a, sort of a sage, like, uh, black man. And then he's also an angry black man in the same scene. And it's, I, I like he does it well he the actor plays it well the character it makes sense sort of within what we know of the character but it also feels a little bit I don't know it's just something that I noticed that I that I kind of didn't I don't know I didn't love it the punching the punching out a bunch of Klingons is also kind of like there. got there had to be a better way <laughs> they didn't yeah. consider another option you know
1: yeah, the the drugs were weird. We don't know what they were. It might have been as simple as adrenaline, but probably not. The fact that the medical staff were punching their way out sort of flies in the face of the Hippocratic Oath. Right. So I had an, I had an issue with that. But I feel like, and I've mentioned this last season on the podcast, the storyline with the doctor's daughter, I did not expect to get resolved as quickly as it did. I thought this would be over multiple seasons. Mm-hmm. And maybe now that that foil for this character is absent. They need to take him in a different angle or a different direction so that he has something to work with. And apparently his PTSD from the Klingon war, which I don't remember being alluded to last, uh, last season is the thing he has to deal with now this season.
0: Yep. That um, I guess that's always the issue with the first episode of a season where they're, you know, like they're starting to starting a new arc, on something and they're like, oh if we if we finished off something, it's like, well, we need every character needs to have something that they're working against or that they're struggling with so that we can have multiple scenes or like multiple sort of uh emotional arcs to work with. And I think Nurse Chapel and Banka's like interaction with each other is kind of interesting. And like I, I kind of like their like we're buddy, buddy. And we've punched people before. Like it's kind of weird, but it's like, it's kind of fun. Like I'm torn on that scene. It's like, it could be fun, but it also kind of went on a little long and it felt a little bit uh, forced or weird. And he kind of tortured a Klingon into telling him stuff. And he's, it's just, there's, like you said, the Hippocratic oath and the, the sort of sort of counter to Starfleet insert in a bunch of ways.
1: Yeah, I did like the final scene just before they shot themselves out the airlock, where he's saying, we've gotten out of worse before, and the nurse is like, no, we really haven't. Yeah, you know, no, that was
0: cute. They turned it around.
1: <laughs> yeah, there were similar scenes in the third season of Picard, where there really didn't seem to be an out, an escape, and the characters had to come to terms with that. And when Chapel says, I can't believe this is how we die, like they very much could have in that moment. And I think she was Mm -hmm. aware of that. And if it hadn't been for Spock waiting as long as he did, they would have. And I have to wonder if he was waiting because he knew he was the captain and he had crewmen on that ship or if because he was Spock and he knew nurse chapel was on that ship.
0: Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that was a nice, nice to have both reasons. Um, you can kind of see it as both. It makes sense from him being a captain perspective. It didn't, I don't think that they discussed or they sort of, I don't think they really explored his, like I'm the captain of this ship and I have to make sure that we, you know, all my crewmen survive. Like they didn't really do that. It was sort of implied more than uh, explicit. Whereas he was clearly like, but also I want nurse chapel to survive. Like that was really where I think they, they pushed it but i think both arguments could be made
1: yeah as far as we know in the history of this character this may have been his first time in command and when he had to give that difficult order to fire on the faux ship and he, immediately after giving the order he shut his eyes mm-hmm. you know like he just he flinched and he couldn't stand to see the results of what he had ordered and that felt a very human reaction to me which i was not expecting from him but which was nonetheless entirely believable given the context
0: yep and it makes sense with the, the way that they have sort of developed that character over the last you know over the last seasons with, with this actor specifically
1: mm-hmm. yeah and then when he finally opens his eyes he's actually he's been crying while his eyes were mm-hmm. shut because as far as he knows he ordered nurse chapel's death you know, and that was something he was going to have to live with, which was that would have been unbearable.
0: Right. And I do think, yeah, I think that's, I thought that was a good scene. I thought that was a good way of sort of uh, capping it. I think it, it turned around this, the other, you know, the the other scene around them fighting and all that stuff, which was, I think maybe it was only five minutes, but it felt like the the middle section of this, of the episode for me.
1: Yeah. There was one shot uh, speaking cinematically, in the fight scene that struck me as odd when they open up the hatch in the floor to drop down to the lower level and the camera flips around mm-hmm. while they jump. And then when they land, it flips back. And usually that's done, for example, at the end of season two of discovery, when uh, captain Georgiou is fighting it's that's usually done to imply a shift in gravity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was not the case here. Like they were not, Walking on the ceiling. There was no loss of anti gravity or whatever. And so it, it struck me as almost unnecessary. I know it's just one quick shot in the series, in, in the episode, but it really caught my attention as something very intentional. And I don't know what they were doing or why. <laughs> what the
0: intention was? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. That's that I noticed that shot as well. And I was like, uh, I guess it was, I think it was right after or be- like it was right around the same s- sequence as, um, Ortega's flipping the ship hmm. to while, fight, while chasing the, you know, like to, to avoid torpedoes and stuff. And I think maybe just for a, it felt like it was just like, well, just make it more dramatic. Like this is a fight scene. Like, let's do this. I don't know. Maybe it didn't feel dramatic enough that they just open a hatch and drop through the floor like and <laughs> land. But to me, that works. Like, just get out of here. You know, that that was a, that could have been fine on its own. Like, oh, look, there's a door. Like, jump down. Yeah. Uh, we, we're we trapped. We have enemies on all sides, but turns out there's a trap door to the, the next deck down and they won't chase us. Right. Fastly, <laughs> quickly enough. I don't know.
1: Whatever. Yeah. There was one other shot, though, that also caught my attention. There were only two shots in the entire episode. That was one of them. The other one I really liked. It was near the very beginning when they were hijacking or stealing the Enterprise and they go to warp out of the solar system and the camera perspective stays on the ship and the planets and everything around them warps mm. and we're, we're much more accustomed to you know a high-pitched wine and suddenly the ship disappears into the horizon with this blue streak behind it and like yep. so the we the viewers are stationary and we're viewing the ship going away and right. this case we got to view the ship moving from the perspective of its hull and i don't it, think in like 900 episodes of star trek i can't remember ever having seen that before
0: Right from the outside of the ship, but staying with the ship. Um, yeah. As opposed, to because like, we've seen it from the inside of the ship. Obviously, we see, you know, we see the stars stretching out and things like that. But we, but I agree. I, I can't remember seeing that either. I can't. I can't say that it, that shot stood out to me. But I'm. I, I might go back and watch it. Yeah, um, both
1: of these scenes we just talked about, I had to rewind because I wasn't quite sure what had just happened because I was fully expecting the ship to disappear from the shot. And that didn't happen. I was like, wait, what mm-hmm. just happened? And then when they jumped down to the lower deck and the camera flipped around, I was like, did the gravity fail? Did I miss something? So I rewound that too. And mm-hmm. you know, both times my confusion was resolved one satisfactorily the other time. Not.
0: <laughs> the other time was just like, was that just for fun? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I do. I think I had a couple other, I did like the, uh, when they encountered the Klingon captain or the, the, the interaction after destroying the foe ship and him and the Klingon captain being like, how could you, like, what are you trying to tell me? And it was a good way to out and not it, like it didn't escalate, which I thought was an interesting, I expected the the interaction to escalate between uh, Spock and captain to Like I thought it was going to go, they were going to get mad. And then we would have like a setup for the rest of the season. But in fact, it just like immediately escalated by being like, "You want to just have some wine?" And I, I thought it worked. I thought it was really cool. Like it was really fun, and it, it, you could see where you know Federation and Klingon could hang out in the future. Like it was, it was just kind of a callback to those kinds of interactions in pre, in like the DS9 and and mostly DS9. I think where where Federation and, and Klingon hang out kind of most commonly.
1: Yeah, I was concerned because it seemed like the goal in that scene was for the Klingons to d- detect neither of the so called Federation ships. And mm-hmm. Instead they saw both of them. And I thought, well that just defeated the whole point of you destroying this fake ship. And fortunately, you know, the Klingon captain was able to find another way to come to a truce in that mm-hmm. respect. And it was just over Blood wine, which is basically how the episode began with Leon drinking. And now we have mm-hmm. Spock doing it instead. And both of those scenes remind me very much of Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. You know, when Marion is drinking the her opponent under the table, I was like, yeah, why not? I mean, it worked in Indiana Jones. That was a good movie that makes yep. a good TV show, too.
0: Yeah. Uh, and while well, also, like, and if you want to stay within the Star Trek sort of lore, like Jed Zia, and, you know, and the Klingons, like her reaction, interaction with the Klingons is like, it's, it's storied, but it's a lot of the same kind of thing where it's just like, yeah, I can drink with the best of them, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, every time there's a Starfleet, per, like a Starfleet officer that can do that, you're like, you have been, you've been drinking some illicit stuff. Like, <laughs> like can, because, you know, you're my alcohol tolerance as a human being has shifted way down since I, uh, you know, like in the last 15 years. And I don't drink that much anymore. Like I drink sometimes, but a beer or two is enough for me. But like, if you don't drink it regularly, you can't hold it that well. And I think blood wine, I feel like going from synthahol to blood wine is a big jump.
1: Right. Like where do these Federation officers build up this tolerance if what they're accustomed (laughs) to is
0: synthahol? Yeah, no idea.
1: I'm, yeah, perhaps some of it can be attributed to Vulcan physiology because they do tend to be stronger than humans, but that only gets you so far.
0: Right. And, but (laughs) then there's, there's uh, Laan, who isn't, I, I know she's a descendant of Khan, but I don't know if she's, or, Still, you know, she's still got some cool physiology stuff going on. I don't, I'm I'm having a hard time remembering specifically if she's 100%
1: human. I don't think that's been satisfactorily explored. My understanding is that she herself is not genetically engineered because if she was, she'd be in a penal colony, just like number one. But she is descended from those with superior genetics and which I presume to a degree are inherited. And you can't, that's
0: how genetics usually works. Right,
1: exactly. And you can't arrest somebody for their heritage yeah yeah, I was yeah, yeah that's an
0: interesting it. i i do wonder if they'll um actually now that i think of it that may come up that may come up in this in the trial with una
1: mm-hmm.
0: to a degree i'm i mean having a character who has a history of genetic modification in their family may be an interesting i don't know if that i know the trial's going to be in this series from the trailer but don't know when it's going to come up
1: yeah, and they certainly let Dr. Bashir stay in Starfleet. Now, he mm-hmm. never lied about his genetic engineering because he didn't know about his genetic engineering, but right. I don't know. It, it seems to be a very case-by-case basis.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, And we have another character who we found out has historically lied about who she is. We have a new chief engineer.
0: Yes. What do you think
1: of Carol Kane?
0: I thought Carol Kane was fantastic. I think her it, it's kind of goofy. It's a little bit goofy, a little bit more goofy than I was uh, sort of hope hoping. I think, I don't know. I've, but it was really fun to see her and have her be there and kind of be like a, a guy in adjacent, but also a chief engineer kind of thing. I don't know. It's kind of fun. I hope she maintains a cool character. Her accent is ridiculous. <laughs>
1: Yeah, when she showed up and she started to help them fake the warp core failure or whatever, I was like, is this because she knew Amanda Grayson? Is this another tie in to Star Trek lore? And in the end, the reason was because she was bored.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I found that actually more believable. Like, yeah, you lived to be this long. Look at all the mischief Q got up to. He was, we thought he was immortal and he would just mess with people for amusement. And there are lots of different ways to get your kicks and not all of it has to be antagonistic like he was. Sometimes you just want to hijack a ship and go on a mission.
0: It seems like these people are going to do some fun stuff. I'm going to join that party. Like, right. Kind of, kind of the vibe. And it was a good one. I think.
1: It makes me wonder what her Starfleet record is like and what other mischief she's gotten up to, because this can't be the first time she's done something like this.
0: Yeah. And yeah, you kind of, wonder if she was how long she's been in starfleet because she's been around and she's like it's been 100 years since i um what was it 100 years since she had done can you remember i forget yeah it's something it it was specific and i felt like it was you know i can't remember it uh but it's still it felt like maybe has she been in starfleet for a long time and she i don't know it's I wonder how what they're going to do with that character, how deeply they'll go into this like new race of uh, sort of hidden immortals on on Earth.
1: Yeah, because this is a new race, right?
0: I couldn't remember uh, any appearance of a lanthanite in the past.
1: Yeah, I just pulled up the Memory Alpha entry for lanthanites. And all the citations are from the broken circle. There are no other references. So as far as we know, this is the first one. And on one hand, I was like, well, that's convenient. Just create a new alien race whenever you want to. But on the other hand, well, the universe is huge and we've probably (laughs) just scratched the surface of what Starfleet is capable of showing us. So I
0: mean, I I guess it makes sense. On the other hand. Yeah. That's convenient. Create a new race of character of aliens when you need one. Like, it's, it's a, you know, you could go either way with the way that you sort of described this edition of this race. It's like, it's story, story-wise. It's like, well, we need something new, so we'll just add something new, but they have the ability to do that. They're writers and it's a, it's a fiction, you know, like, right. And it's kind of fun and maybe it will, maybe it'll tie into future. I'm, I'm certain that a show like lower decks will be, tie in lanthanites in some other way like now that this like reference to a race of hidden beings like exists Mm -hmm. on earth it's it's a cool you know like it it opens up something for future series if not this one yeah but i can't imagine them casting carol Kane and adding that character in in the first episode of season two and not like diving a bit deeper into that
1: (laughs) right i'm sure we'll have some character episodes about her and the yes. nice thing about her race living hidden among humans is that it's not exactly a retcon. Like, first contact with the Vulcans is still first contact, as we know. You know, mm-hmm. there, there was uh, Carbon Creek, an episode of Enterprise, where Vulcans were interacting with Earthlings around the 1950s, I think. You know, and that's not a retcon because we didn't know it was first contact. It's First contact is a formal event, right. you know, not a hidden subterfuge or surveillance and right. so if well, these there's... Lanthanites want to live hidden among us, then go for it.
0: Sure. There was also that, uh, that time Spock in the eighties was hanging out in San Francisco <laughs> and saving whales or stealing whales, stealing whales saving to whales. save whales in the future. <laughs> right.
1: Right. Yeah. There've been so many time travel
0: episodes and
1: so yeah. many aliens have crossed paths with earth. I mean, I think Q helped save one of Riker's ancestors during the civil war. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah.
0: Data was in the old west. I mean, all the all that fun stuff.
1: Oh, that's right. His head was found in San Francisco. Yeah. Another aspect of this episode that I found interesting was the whole false flag uh maneuver that the broken mm-hmm. circle was conspiring to reignite the Klingon War. And we sort of saw something similar at the end of Enterprise in the fourth season where the Romulans were trying to destabilize this tenuous Relationship that was going to become the United Federation of Planets. Um, do you think that that was going back to that well? It, was it unoriginal, or what did you think?
0: I think the 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 false flag arc. I mean, if it doesn't continue beyond this episode, I don't feel like it necessarily is unoriginal because it is. It was if it's used as a vessel to or like a vehicle to introduce this other. Uh, front that they might be fighting on with the Gorm. Um, and then they kind of, if they just kind of leave this behind in the broken circle, you know, if it doesn't happen again, it's fine. It, it's an episode starter. Or it's a season starter. It gets us going. It sort of, but it doesn't become like a, a long running thing. I don't know. I it, it, it didn't bother me. I thought the idea was interesting. I think the idea that they were like, let's just build a ship that has like Discovery's saucer thing. Like it had the it had the ring and then a saucer within the ring, which I thought was. I feel like that's an advanced thing to just like kind of kit bash under the under the surface of a planet, you know? Like, but it's cool.
1: Yeah, I hadn't examined the design of that ship as closely as you did, and that's a really good catch about the Discovery era design. When I first saw the false flag operation occurring, I, I immediately thought of Enterprise. I was like, oh, they're going back to that well, but then I was like, Ken. Are you really going to criticize writers who have 900 episodes behind them for <laughs> using one plot from 20 years ago? And I was like, no, that's not very real- reasonable. Yeah. Okay.
0: It's an go ahead. It, it's an okay uh, I mean it's a plot that makes sense. It's just like a quick little it's a it's an easy understandable like bite-sized storyline to have
1: to use as a
0: starter for something else, you know?
1: Yeah, and it's being used in a very different context. I mean, destabilizing a budding Federation of Planets versus reigniting a war for profit, you know, those are very different circumstances. The parties at play are very different. You know, dilithium miners versus Romulans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to your point about the ship being kitbash, there's really... I can't expect Star Trek writers to really do truly original things. What we can do is expect them to do familiar things in new contexts or for new reasons. You know, mm-hmm. they're sort of kit bashing the history of star Trek. Right. And, and, and I'm okay with that because odds are most people haven't seen all 900 episodes of star Trek.
0: Yeah, I haven't. I've watched <laughs> most of them. Almost all of them. <laughs> there's still, there's still quite a few. Mostly I felt, I fell off the, the last year has been a little bit, uh, busy for me. So mm-hmm. I've sort of, i not I haven't watched all of Prodigy like I said and like I'm the, the new series I'm trying to keep up with but I'm it's a lot there's a lot of stuff having five series running at the same time is also quite a lot it <laughs> it's, is it's great for us as fans um, but it feels like most of what I it's like if I want to keep up with Star Trek I kind of have to watch Star Trek all the time which is on, great
1: <laughs> On the other hand two seasons of modern Star Trek, is the same number of episodes as one season of Star Trek 20 years ago.
0: That's true. That's a good point. So Although it I have watched it. I didn't watch it while it was airing, so uh, most of it okay. I watched on Netflix, so I I that didn't matter. I was like it's not as long. I just watched this season in 3 days, so
1: and also the old episodes used to be an hour with commercials. Now it feels like they're an hour without commercials. Yep. Oh, I I do not miss commercials. Let me tell you. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Anything else about this episode that you wanted to comment
0: on, or which caught your eye? Yep, uh, I had a couple of notes that I that I wrote down as I was watching it. I thought it was, uh, you know, when they're stealing the Enterprise. I thought the scene where uh, Spock sort of presented his plan, but didn't explicitly say his plan was an interesting one. It was kind of, it was funny. His he's like, "Do you do you guys agree with my plan?" And they're all like, "Could you just say?" out loud what your plan is because we want to hear you say it like Mm -hmm. because that's how it felt like because they all smiled like yeah this is that's it that's what that's what i thought you were saying but let's definitely steal the enterprise um but i think he was trying to avoid saying it because like you said it's possibly his first time in command of of the ship and he's like this isn't really something i should do uh, but I have to do it. Yeah. I don't feel like the crew
1: was as enthusiastic about the suggestion as Spock was. And I'm surprised mm-hmm. that they all went along with it.
0: That's, that's fair. No, I guess there was one shot of nurse chapel being like, yeah, that's hot. Like it's <laughs> kind of was kind of her reaction. Like, yes, like let's steal the ship. That makes, that's really good. Like be a cowboy. Mm. Uh, But yeah, I guess you're right. he, he did the obligatory, like, if you don't want to do this, like, go ahead and leave or or report me to Starfleet. But and everyone was like, that's eh, fine. Hmm. It's kind of their reaction, you know, like, eh, well, yeah, let's do it. Let's just steal the ship. Yeah, I mean, we have
1: so many instances where captains have gone against orders and they've given their crew the opportunity to dissent. And I don't think I've ever seen it happen. Like even Data said, to hell with our orders.
0: Right. Uh, I do think it would be interesting if somebody did. At some point.
1: Yeah, I think it'd be interesting and realistic because like there's this one guy saying,
0: Uh, this is a bad idea. I'm out. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that one guy is probably Boimler, like, oh, no, we can't <laughs> we can't break the rules.
1: Well, like I remember as a little kid in grade school, if the class was getting particularly rambunctious, like I could tell the teacher was about to give everybody detention, like everybody in mm-hmm. the room. And so I'd raise my hand and say, can I go to the bathroom? She's like, sure. And i go to the bathroom. And when I came back, while I was gone, she'd given everybody detention. And I was like, can we, I be exempt because I wasn't here when it happened? She's like, sure. And I was like, great. Yes. Smart. Everybody gets detention except me.
0: That's very observant of you. <laughs> yeah.
1: You, you, you start to see the boiling point approaching. And so yeah. kind of like with Star Trek, like if everybody's about to do something that could get them court-martialed, I might want to be like, um, I have to go to the bathroom. Let me yeah. know when you're done
0: court martialing. <laughs> yeah, no, I had something to do on that on the space station. I'm sorry. I left my shirt, my shirt on the station, like or right. something, you know, right. <laughs> I got to go right back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, although, you know, when, when they vent the nacelles and they get a message, you know, to put space between the enterprise and the station, uh, you know, something, it, something that occurred to me in that one moment was just like, they didn't say how much space. To put in between. Oh, good point. Just get out of here. Right, right. We're just doing what you told us to. What do you mean, stealing? Our warp core isn't about to explode. We're just going to warp out of here. Right, right.
1: (laughs) I like how quickly they brought Leon back because Mm -hmm. in the last two episodes of last season, we lost three characters. And we know from the trailer that we can expect two of them back, with the third being replaced by Carol Kane. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't want the whole season to be about getting the gang back together because we know they work so well together. I want to see more of that.
0: Right. The character interaction, the way that they've written these characters is, you know, it's really fun. And we, I don't know. I'm, I'm invested in the interaction and not the like getting of the, they already, they already have a crew. Like we, we know we want them to have their crew interaction. They're like, you know, office, uh, office drama stuff Mm -hmm. it's more fun than finding yeah we also got to
1: see more of robert april who we haven't seen too much of and there was a brief moment where i was concerned he was going to turn out to be a bad because Mm -hmm. at the end of the episode when he and another admiral are talking about spock just kept us from having to fight a war on two fronts i thought they might be alluding to the fact that some Admirals or some rogue faction at Starfleet, maybe Section Thirty-One, was sponsoring the Broken Circle, and that they Mm. were actually the ones trying to start the war. And that proved to be a misinterpretation on my part, for which I'm very grateful because I did not want. I mean, that's that's dark, you know. That's Section Thirty-One dark, and I don't feel like the vibe of Strange New Worlds and its campiness is compatible with Section Thirty-One.
0: No, I agree. Or even if it's not. You know, or even just the, like, like you said, the bad moral, like it's having, it's not necessary. I don't think it's necessary for this series. I think this series is really, they call it strange new worlds. It's about exploring new things. It's about facing external forces. Um, although to, to allude to the title in that case, in that explanation doesn't really make that much sense because of discovery. Um, that's a lot of internal stuff, at least in the first couple of seasons. and the series is named discovery. So <laughs> I don't think that works, but it works in this case. So I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it's necessary for this series. Um, and I don't think it really makes, it wouldn't make sense for Pike to really be doing that. Cause he does have his own, like later on, like his, the trial and all that stuff that goes on. I, I'm vaguely remembering like he's, kind of an antagonist in in that episode after his accident is that true pike in tos or am i not remembering i'm misremembering i, mis- I
1: that? think after his accident he didn't have much capacity to be an antagonist
0: Ooh, no but okay yeah I've, I've, i'm i'm misremembering i think I'm, I'm thinking of something else um anyway the point is i agree i don't i like that it is a different front i think it is. I don't remember the Gorn having that much of a impact on the, on Starfleet like before they've kind of interacted with them like once or twice, you know? So to have a, a war or a potential war with this race is kind of, eh, I guess they have the freedom to do what they want to do, but it feels like they're just picking something that, that we kind of recognize the name of, but, and making up a bunch of story about it.
1: My recollection is that the Gorn showed up in one episode of TOS and then in the mirror universe of enterprise season four. Hmm. And that was it up until strange new worlds.
0: Hmm. Well, I guess it's a race that they haven't explored much. So it's it's new. At least it's not like Romulans again.
1: Yes. I'm grateful for
0: that. <laughs> so. Anything um, else that you observed about this episode? Yes, I think. Oh, so some clothing, stuff um
1: yeah let's get your unique perspective on that
0: so uh i think it's i think the uniform is good i'm fascinated by the fact that they didn't change the primary officer uniform between first season and second season of this one show of all the five series that are currently running like picard they've got different you know uniforms and, and discovery they have a new uniform every season um So in this show, they were like, "No, we we like this like pullover tunic thing um, with a black undershirt." Like, I I like that uniform. I think they did they sort of they tied in the original series uniform, the tunic with the black collar, but they they changed it up in a way that made sense to me. Um, I think that on this ship on Enterprise, the best uniform is the transporter chief's uniform. Uh, Jay Mm is it's just super cool. He's a, he's a, it's a weird character. It's kind of fun to have this one guy that just like shows up for like to respond to calls, but otherwise is just probably standing in that room, which we know is true of transporter officers. They're just like, I just, just hang out and watch Netflix until they call me, you know?
1: Yep.
0: And they're always like transporter chiefs are just always like watching for signals because you, the bridge finds a signal. They're like, there's a person. We need to, you know, we need to do that. And then they just call the transporter room and they're like, lock onto that signal and transport them. Transporters like paying attention to everything that's happening on the sensors. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. oh, there's a rock over there. I got this. Like he's like ready to lock on to anything that they come within range of. Seems like a it's a it's a job that I don't think gets enough attention in this series. <laughs> no, they don't get enough credit for all their vigilance. Yeah, they're always paying attention to what's around the ship. I also thought it was, I thought the outfits that they wear on their away mission or their, uh, you know, sort of undercover mission on the planet. were very cool. Kind of demo esque, um, which is something that, you know, it's like a style that they've used a lot in the current series. This like kind of Dune chic. Um, it's really cool. I think it looks good. It works, uh, I wonder where they get those outfits because they're really complex and, um, <laughs> they don't have, uh, they don't have replicators yet. So like, where are they? Like, they're just like, they're not just put, or they do have a the, In
1: the first season they were able to beam down and have the transporter fabricate new clothes in transit.
0: Is that what happened? I forgot that.
1: Yeah, that happened in I think in season one, episode one or two. Huh.
0: So yeah. they just take the mass of the clothing that they're wearing and change it into something else. Either that or they beam down naked <laughs> and have the yeah. new clothes appear. <laughs> but they have to get the mass from somewhere. Uh I don't know.
1: It's weird, yeah. man. It's,
0: it's transporters are funky to begin with, but it makes actually that would make sense as a like we figured out how to do this. And it's the basis for replicator technology, but I'm certain they won't bother talking about that. They don't. They won't take time on, in their scripts to explain how that transporter creation of clothing ties into replicators in the future.
1: No, I think they might have some like basic replicators because we've seen Discovery has a cafeteria and they can just pull mm-hmm. food out of the wall, but it's not the uh, advanced kinds that we're accustomed to seeing on the Enterprise D, for example.
0: Right um yeah they did have something like that in an old i think was it in tos they had like they had like a weird locker they could like pull out a sandwiches from um i'm vaguely remembering now now that i'm like as i'm watching strange new worlds i'm like trying to figure out what do i remember from the original series because so much of it obviously was so much lower tech like visually like graphic wise and their sets were obviously really really simple. So it's like, what are they trying to reference? And are they actually trying to reference something or are they just making stuff up for the fun of it? Because it's convenient to have, you know, replicators. It's like, it's hard to go back to pre Kirk and also not have replicators because it's just an easy storytelling tool.
1: Right. And I think that's one of the ways in which enterprise hamstrung itself. They're like, Oh, how do we tell stories without, transporters and shields and phasers and or not phasers but like they had all these pieces of equipment that star trek fans were accustomed to seeing which all of a sudden they didn't have and they thought that mm-hmm. you know in many cases constraints breed creativity yep. but in the end they were like <laughs> oh we really need to go in the opposite direction with discovery where transporters are just a personal thing everybody has and you can do right away you know let's just get rid of the fact that we need to walk down the corridor to a transporter room just yep. let's just, let's just eliminate that transit time and get right to the action and that allows faster storytelling
0: right it takes one you know one scene out which mm-hmm. is when you've got an hour and apparently they're they're like we can barely fit what we want to put into an hour right in one in one episode uh, which i noticed in there was one scene there one shot where they start chasing the foe ship and it was just like follow that ship, don't let anybody notice us or that ship. And then it and then it cuts to the to a scene inside one of the ships and then it goes back to space and they're being fired upon from the foe ship and it that felt I I was like, oh. So they've noticed each other and they're fighting now. Like, we're not following anymore, we're not really hiding, like nobody you can't really I feel like the Klingons would notice energy like discharges from they're not it's no longer just space rocks you know that they're flying that's flying around
1: yeah the fact that both ships were in the asteroid belt to begin with seemed odd to me like I I wasn't quite clear why the faux ship felt the need to hide you would think that Mm -hmm. they would just want to immediately be seen like that's the whole point of its existence was to be seen by the phasers blaring Right. So, why are they hiding? And that struck me as a little odd. So, maybe there was some nuance I missed, but yeah. I'm, I'm willing no. to just wave it away and move on.
0: I think that's exactly what the showrunners want you to do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, going back to the uniforms, do you watch every episode of Star Trek, like either being observant and aware of the clothes, either for your own assessment or product inspiration?
0: I watch every episode of everything. I interact with, with that, like through that lens, uh, or anything that I do in life. I am always looking at clothing and the way that it's constructed and the, how, like what the benefit of this thing or that thing, or what, how this detail could be implemented in a way that is more costumey. Like, I just think about all this stuff that that's something that I'm always watching. Um, an example is, uh, in to, to change to go to the other side of this coin, Star Wars, um, Kylo Ren's you like outfit, his like cool Sith thing, and his like he's got these pleats all his down his sleeves that are horizontal pleats. And I was like, how could they possibly do that? And it's so fitted all the way down his arm. Um, and I noticed in one scene, he's like reaching towards somebody and you can see there's a invisible zipper all the way up his arm, those sleeves open all the way up to the armpits so you he can get his arm in and they close it o- afterwards. Like that's the detail, the level of detail that I watch things on the first viewing. I'll see stuff like that because just, that's just what I watch. I have to sometimes watch again to like see what they want me to see. You can't turn that off. No, I, I don't I mean to be honest, I don't really want to, but because it's something that I really enjoy. Um, But uh, it also, yeah, I mean, I don't, I can't really turn it off even if I wanted to. Um, I do think, especially with uh, Starfleet uniforms, because we have the license and I'm always thinking about what uniform is the right one to make a jacket based on and how to translate that uniform into a jacket. um, What makes sense for that the style of that uniform or the the um, the specific color blocking or aesthetics of that uniform and how I could use that and sort of implement a different thing through that style. So for instance, next gen, they, it's got the the color on the chest with a asymmetrical sort of chevron. It's like off the point is off to one side. I always thought it'd be super cool to have a, a zipper running straight through that point. Like I've seen hoodies that have zippers run straight down the middle and it's kind of, you know, it's just cutting this like this graphical element in half at a point that doesn't make sense, like visually. So our jacket has a zipper running off to the side because it's off to the side. It's a moto jacket. And I sort of leaned into the moto styling of the jacket and, like so that's the kind of translation that I try to do. Is I look at what they have done with it and how it could be adjusted and what like what you could do to make it look like streetwear. Huh. Um, the current uniforms are a little bit easier. They've been getting more and more into just making cool jackets as opposed to interesting costumes, which is fine by me, but it I means it's less work for me, but at the same time it's less creative. Like I have to figure out like, should I be creative here? Should I change this? Or should I just lean into it? Hmm. Um, just so like we just launched a jacket based on the field jackets from Picard with the, with the, the cool collar and all the, the, the sick leather jackets everyone is wearing. Um, And it's so detailed and it's on the show. It's just a, it's a cool leather jacket. End of story. It's like, should I change that? Cause we usually change things, but it's also awesome, but we don't do replicas. So like, I'm like, that's a, something that I sort of have to live through <laughs> and, and find my way through to decide what the best kind of product to make is.
1: Have you made products based on, well, let me phrase this another way. Is there a star Trek show for which you have not yet made a product, a jacket? Yes.
0: Uh, enterprise. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to do a good enterprise jacket. Hmm. Um, And there's a bunch of uniforms within other series, like the Picard series. I was trying to figure out what uniform to sort of latch onto, which one is going to be the most iconic, which is going to be the one that people want to wear. Um, And that presented itself in season three, but I sort of, we made, the sweater that picard wears in the first episode of the first season like when he's just hanging out on his vineyard um and we made his vest but like those were cool products that don't i don't think were necessarily starfleet or like start it was it's was a good star trek product but it wasn't like a it's less obvious mm-hmm. um but enterprise is tough because it their jumpsuits their flight suits they're a little bit early 2000s in a way that's hard for me to (laughs) it's like too recent to Mm -hmm. you know it's it it hasn't come back around in the like fashion is only just last like 20 years ago like it's we're kind of getting back to the 2000s fashion being popular now but i don't know that uniform is a little tough for that reason
1: that's interesting because since enterprise is set so close to our present the closest of any star trek's It seems like less of a reach to develop something based on that, but it also makes it more subject to, as you said, today's fashion whims.
0: Mm -hmm. And and the way that it was, yeah, exactly. It was designed kind of close to today's fashion whims at the time that the series came out. Right. You always have to think about like what what the uniform looks like based on when it was made. Right now, the uniforms that are being designed are. They're sleek. They're tailor fit. They wear open jackets. Like the, a lot of the characters in this series, like leave their jacket unzipped even partially. Like Uhura's is not zipped all the way up. Um, they had this, like the the away jacket from last season, the gray with the, the cool piping. Like they wore that open over their like division color tunics hmm. because the jacket is gray. And they were like, let's just make a cool gray leather jacket. And if we wear it open, you can still see what color everybody's wearing <laughs> and it's casual and badass. Like, <laughs> you, you know, like and that's kind of the style that we're doing right now, which is appropriate for modern fashion. But like you look at next generation, the first season is these, are these like fitted jumpsuits that are kind of X-Men like, hmm. and then it gets into this like jumper and, and pants thing, which is sort of a box shape with a cinched waistband that's kind of a hoodie that's like late 80s, early 90s, kind of like over slightly oversized. It's just that's the like the fashion that sort of goes in those directions and you have to kind of figure out what the. It's not the future, it's but it is also it's like we're trying to figure out what the future looks like based on what we know about today. Mm hmm. And we're trying to yeah. make it look cool to people today, so it has to be tied into modern fashion, but it has to also look futuristic, you know.
1: And the future is always changing based on in what era it's being projected.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I think of my, like Minority Report and like the shape of cars in Minority Report, and I was like, that this, It was cool at that time, and now, like we think about what futuristic cars look like, and it's kind of just Tesla but mm. a little bit more fancy like tesla but with blacked out win- like windows like it's just but electric cars are kind of looking like futuristic cars from 30 years ago anyway that's that's a whole the <laughs> the way fashion is designed is kind of my whole that's my expertise
1: <laughs> no, no i love it that's one of the th- i love having this insight it's not something that a lot of viewers have into Star Trek. It's not something that they are consciously thinking about. It's great to hear from somebody who is. And Mm -hmm. the fact that you take those perspectives, those observations, and you turn them into these high-quality, handmade jackets is so impressive. I mean, like I said, the one that I got to try on was just, I would love to have that in my wardrobe. And I know that if I wanted to, I could just go to volantedesign.us and use code TRANSPORTER, all caps, 10% 10% off my order. Uh, so we've been talking about the debut of Strange New World Season 2. Any closing thoughts? Because I've had you on the show for about an hour. I want to be respectful of your time. Do you think that this sets up the season to go in a good direction? Are we eager for the rest of the episodes?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm eager for them partly because we didn't get enough Pike in this episode. Mm. Uh, I, I'm excited to see him come back and I, I'm really interested in some of this setup less of the setup that happened in this episode and more of the setup that's happened in the trailers and like tying in the last season. I'm, I'm invested in this series. Um, I'm interested to see what they're like. They felt like they were setting up a big bad without really going into what that big bad is for this season Hmm. or how it's, how it's going to affect the crew specifically. Um, but I still want to see more of the crew. So I'm, I'm into it. I'll be here for the ride.
1: I've successfully avoided the trailers as much as I could, so I don't know who this big bad might be. I'm interested to see it. I hope that it doesn't become like Discovery, where it's a whole season leading up to one thing. I like mm-hmm. the sort of like the bottle episodes that they have. Yep. Um, and yeah, we need to see more Pike. We have all ten episode names available, so we, if we wanted to glean something from the episode list, we know what episodes are going to be airing and what dates and roughly who's going to be directing them there's at least one episode by jonathan frakes who is always fantastic yep uh but episode titles always, by themselves don't tell us a lot
0: yeah i always struggle with the episode titles i, I want to look and then i don't want to look i don't want to watch trailers like you said like because i don't want to know what's happening but but also yeah. i can't help myself sometimes so <laughs> there have
1: been times i've gone to the movies with friends and it's a sold out theater and i'm the only person who hasn't seen the trailer and so there's this one moment where everybody knew it was coming and i jump literally jump out of my seat and i say holy crap (laughs) and everybody in the theater is laughing not at what just happened on the screen but at me because they're like really you didn't see that coming i'm I'm a very express i'm a very expressive viewer like you know when i'm in the audience of a movie (laughs) or a community theater production so yeah and like as far as i know people aren't bothered by this they're amused by it so otherwise i tamp it down but yeah Yeah. that doesn't happen i don't get that experience if i watch trailers so i try to right
0: spock's um spock's moment his his uh engage line that was all spoiled in one of the trailers
1: unfortunately that trailer was shown for me like even though i'm paying for the no commercials paramount plus they still show me house ads And so I went to watch something else on Paramount Plus and it showed me an unskippable commercial for Strange New World season two. And it showed that one moment.
0: Yeah. And you were like, ah, like the comedy of that moment dies in the moment of the episode. If you've already seen it. Yeah. They they added one line to the end of that. I forget what he said. He said now, which I don't think was in the trailer. Mm. He said, I'd like the ship to go. And then they cut. I don't think now adds a lot to that line. It, It does not. It doesn't make up for it. But uh, I I think we could probably argue about how how shitty it is, the way trailers are made these days. And that has nothing to do with this episode or? No, no, that we could do a whole episode about that. Yeah. And we won't. And we won't because it's
1: not necessary. We all agree. So are there places online where our listeners can follow you as an individual as opposed to the brand? Uh,
0: Me as an individual? Not really. Um, okay. I have some personal accounts, but I never do anything with them. Mm-hmm. However, um, I'm very active on our discord server. We, oh. we have an open server. We chat all the time. We chat about, uh, designs as they come out. We chat about ideas. If people have questions, I usually answer them. It's basically a, co- a continuous ask me anything, but it's also just a cool community of like-minded people who more or less like the same franchises that we make products on, uh, but are really into the fashion of pop culture things.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I just went to volantedesign.us and right in the footer where you find a lot of links about your company, there's join our Discord. So that's very easy to find. I didn't have to go hunting for it. (laughs) I'll include a link to volantedesign.us in our show notes, which are found at transporterlock.com. And again, if anybody wants to buy anything from your Assassin's Creed line, or Star Trek, or Devil May Cry, or your original line of cyberpunk-themed designs and jackets, just go to Vellantedesign.us, use code TRANSPORTER, all caps for 10% off. David, any closing
0: thoughts? Live long and prosper. (laughs) We will indeed. (laughs) Thank Thank you you so much. much Thanks for having me, Ken. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the
1: show. It's been a while since I originally encountered your company at PAX East in Boston this past spring. We were just waiting for the right opportunity and, of course, for Strange New Worlds to come back on the air before we could have this collaboration. I appreciate your patience, and I think it went wonderfully. I really appreciate your time and hearing all about you and your history and your company. So thank you so much. Thank
0: you. I had a really fun time chatting about Star Trek. It's always good. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at Transporter Lock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at transporterlock.com.